10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits. Culver is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. And we welcome you in to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Coming off the Memphis game as we recap the 61st all-time meeting between the Red Wolves and Tigers. Crazy game on Saturday night. A-State led four different occasions in this one, but ultimately they fall short 44-32. This was, well, first off, a very entertaining college football game. We expected nothing less, but... I thought it was interesting just from the opening coin toss because I'm sure you noticed this. Memphis won the toss. They wanted the football first. And look, they scored 55 in Jonesboro last year. I'm sure maybe that was part of the thinking. They wanted to come out and get off to a good start. But I thought A-State couldn't have asked for a better start in this game because the defense comes out, they answer the bell, and then the Red Wolves come out on their opening drive. And they have a big third down conversion to Seydoux Traore, goes 24 yards. And then on the next third down, James Blackman finds Seydoux again, this time from 51 yards out. Champ Fleming's in the left slot. Four-man rush for Memphis. Blackman throws over the middle, caught. 30, 20, this is Seydoux Traore, and he's going to score. Seydoux on third down takes it to the house from 51 yards out. And the Red Wolves are on the board first with 11.39 remaining in the opening quarter. And a big night for Seydoux Traore. I thought, really, it was kind of his breakout. He had six catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. And look, I I would expect us to see more of that going forward because he really is a freak of an athlete you hope so i mean you hope that's a sign that it's clicked with him a little bit because he's a, a a bit of a hybrid to standpoint you play him at tight end as a guy that really could go outside some yep. and and i think this team may need that out of him i think he's gonna have to be uh, you know a threat to stretch the field and not just do sort of tight end type things and you know that route where he got the big touchdown was out of a timeout perfectly cold i was at the at the time this went down i was in the press box beside an nfl scout and i won't say from which team but he just i mean the, the whole time she was oh water out water out water before he even scored the touchdown he was just really? running down the field and the guy was going that's a hell of a route water <laughs> out unbelievable you know so i was like hey must have been a good route well it was a good route he was able to get open and then he ran away from everybody else for the 51 yard score and look it was back and forth the red wolves led three different times in the first half. They did trail 21-17 at the intermission. It stayed 21-17 all the way through the third quarter. Now, Memphis does score on the first play of the fourth, but I thought the offense kind of picked it up after that. As soon as Memphis went on top 28-17, we saw the run game get going. Brian Sneed had a 29-yard run. Then you get a pass interference on a ball thrown to Adam Jones. After that, Brian Sneed able to get in from seven yards out. And at that point, you're down five. So you go for two. It's still early fourth. And James Blackman threw a dart to Johnny Lang. I mean, he had to throw that ball hard to beat the defender, and he did. Found Johnny Lang for the two-point try, and it cut it to 28-25. Memphis gets it back. And they're held to a field goal on the next drive, so it's still a one-score game at that point. A-State then drives down a a nine-play drive. They've got third and four from the Memphis 27, and James Blackman is able to find Johnny Lang down the left side. Blackman has Johnny Lang standing to his left. On third down, Blackman going deep left side. Lang is wide open, and he's going to score. Johnny Lang wide open. Down the left side, he walks it in, and A-State is an extra point away from taking the lead with 422 remaining in the fourth. So they're up 32-31 after the extra point, and back to that Lang touchdown. I don't know how he could have been more wide open yeah. on that. There was a lot of that going on. Both quarterbacks in this game found some a couple of wide open receivers along the way. 
Well, and look, it was another third down play. And who had the Red Wolves been going to on third down all night? Sadu. Yeah. And I'm sure they were keeping an extra eye out on him. But Johnny Lang able to get open on that left side. And it's 32-31. Red Wolves on top. 4.22 to go. Memphis does get the football back. And early in the drive, you know, get a couple of big stops. Kevon Bennett had a huge tackle on third down sets up fourth and six memphis has it at their own 29 and look if you get the stop there the ball game's yeah. all but over but memphis able to convert it, it was interesting because I, I don't think it was automatic to go for it there right you're pretty you, not automatic you're no. in you know you're in the wrong end of the field there's still just maybe a little under five minutes to go with your timeouts i mean you could have i mean you would have seen some coaches who would have taking their chances punting it away and think hoping you can get it back one more time but they never they didn't blink they went for it and kept the drive going and kept moving i'll right tell down you the field. when i sat down to do the tv show uh, i remember I, I was talking with coach jones and jerry scott sunday morning and you know jerry asked coach if he was surprised and he said yeah i was a little bit surprised he he actually expected memphis to punt there they had two timeouts remaining at that point but they went for it they convert on the fourth down and later on the drive, they score on a 39-yard touchdown. Two-point conversions, no good. Eddie Smith got a hand on that. So you're down just five. There's still 2.08 to go and three timeouts. And I remember Philip Butterfield making the comment and saying, hey, that may be too much time. Yeah. 2.08, three timeouts, and Reagan Ely with a big return on the kickoff. You're out at the 46-yard line. So all of a sudden, you got an eternity. You had to kind of be quick, but don't hurry sort of deal to yeah. quote Coach Wooden. Because, I mean, you got the big return. You had all your timeouts. I mean, you didn't have to be out there going 90 to nothing. You could pretty much do what you wanted to do from an offensive standpoint. Now, one subplot that had kind of developed on the drive before was A-State lost their starting right tackle. Robert Holmes was injured. The offensive line was not the same after that. We started to see some issues later on because of Robert Holmes having to exit the football game. Now on first down, after A-State began the drive at their own 46, they get no gain. They pick up five yards on second, incomplete pass on third. So it's fourth and five. And you still feel like that's really manageable. You can still move the chains, but back-to-back False starts. All of a sudden, it's fourth and 15, and then a bad snap. You lose 30 yards, and you turn it over the for game. the first. Yeah, I mean, you lose the game at that point. In an ideal, you know, in a perfect world, you know, at that stage of the game, and listen, nobody's going to have that presence of mind, but once it's going at some point, you wish James Blackwell just hauled off and kicked it through the back of the end zone, put you down seven and taking your chances. Nobody's but, thinking about that no, at live that's speed. the last thing you're thinking about. But at the same time, do need to give credit to the Memphis fans. I don't know how much of a factor they were up until that point, but Coach Jones commented to us on Sunday saying, hey, they were a big factor in those back-to-back false starts in the last couple of minutes. Yep. And so I'll circle back around. To, I'll, I'll, we'll touch on this maybe at the end of the podcast. It'd be nice to be able to return the favor to some folks. Because sooner or later, yep. we're going to play at home again. I checked the schedule. We are, we're <laughs> At some point, yes, we will play another home game. But Memphis, after they recover the fumble, and that ended up being recovered by Memphis on that 32-yard loss. So that was the first turnover of the season committed by Arkansas State. Memphis scores... Yeah, it was, again, a game that A-State led with a little over two minutes to go, and they end up falling short 44-32. Thought we saw some good individual performances in this one. James Blackman continues to play really well at the quarterback position. 25 of 34 for 275 and a couple of touchdowns. Brian Sneed had a good night. 13 carries, 66 yards, and a couple of scores. Yeah, you talk about, you know, Sadu having a – coming out party i mean i would think there were times that sort of looked like the same for sneed i mean he looked the part of a a big time running back so does johnny lang he had 197 all-purpose yards on saturday and i thought the linebackers did a lot of good things jordan carmooch the houston transfer finishes with 13 tackles and malik straker had 12 tackles on the night which in turn 
you know, then credit goes to the defensive line, right? Yeah. I mean, and and I know that was you know that's been a question mark. That was a, an area of concern. So, if you're linebackers, if you got two linebackers that combine for 25 tackles, and that means you know your D line at some point was doing a good enough job of eating up blocks and letting those guys make plays. Yeah, and Philip was making the point too that you know in a game like this last year. You're talking about the safeties having yeah, a lot of that, tackles. That's right. You'd rather be talking about the linebackers Absolutely. getting all the tackles. Yeah. One thing in this, and I can't remember where, and I sent you guys a text when it happened. It could go as a rant, but it's not. It's just not, it's just, it, it ought not happen. They had in a, a pretty key spot before to set the scene for what would be a big play at the time. Mm-hmm. They had an offensive lineman get probably rolled up upon, and he was yeah. slow to get up. All right, and this is going to set up, we'll call it a pretty key third down, if I'm if I'm thinking right. So now all of a sudden, in a pretty big spot, they've also got to get another offensive lineman into the game. This guy is probably 80 or 90% to the sideline. And one of their coaches steps three or four steps on the field and starts pointing at him. To, pointing Was at the he ground. that obvious? Oh, yeah. Well, I saw it from the other side of the stadium. Wow. To just point, to point, start pointing at the ground, tell him to fall down and get the play stopped. I mean, he was hobbled, but he was getting to the sideline, right? The kid was determined. He was getting to the sideline, and he got coached to fall down to bring a timeout, which led to a media timeout. And I don't know what happened for there, but it's just sure. like, come on. And and listen, they're not the only – I mean, I'm, not, that's, well, I'm it, not saying the only people doing that, but it's just yeah. – I mean, that was just out in broad daylight. Well, usually it's not that obvious that they're telling them to do that. If they're pointing for them to go to the ground, that's something you don't see very often. It's a heartbreaking loss at the same time. You know, the Red Wolves have to forget about it, get ready for conference play, which begins this Saturday against Old Dominion. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But coming up next, we'll be joined in studio by A-State women's golf coach M.J. Dabian Shaw. Stay tuned. That's coming up next here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back in to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio by our friend, the head women's golf coach at A-State in her 13th season. Is that right? That's correct. It's MJ Dabian Shaw. How you doing, MJ? I'm doing good. I, I want to know your story. I know a lot about it already, but I want everybody that's listening to kind of know exactly where you came from now you grew up in canada Mm -hmm. quebec city is that right that's right if you want to have the correct pronunciation is quebec 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 just like a k most americans say quebec quebec though Mm -hmm. quebec we'll take it (laughs) so you grow up in quebec city tell us about your family how'd you get into golf so, um, as a young child, my dad and brother were big golfers, and my mom played a little bit, but uh, we lived probably um, a street over from the golf course. In Canada, we pretty much only play two, three months out of the year, maybe four months if you're lucky. My dad was an avid golfer, always played, always said that it doesn't ever rain on a golf course, so if, if you saw some clouds, he says, we're still going to go play because it doesn't rain on a golf course, that type of guy. <laughs> So um, I didn't really get interested into golf probably until 11, 12 years old. I thought it was kind of slow, which is what my daughter's uh, saying right now. So I don't know where she got <laughs> She's that. She's that age, yeah. <laughs> but I started playing a lot more at that age and uh, had a lot of fun. Played with, I played with boys more than I played with girls. At the time, there was not a lot of girls playing golf. And so always had matches. We had a great junior uh, tour at my home golf course. We had clinics, tournaments. Every Monday we had tournaments that were all around the the city of Quebec, and it was $3. $3 to play. You had an all-day affair. The tea times came in on Sunday night, well, on Sunday in the newspaper, so you knew who you were playing with that Monday. So all summer long we played Monday tournaments. So kind of got into to golf like that and uh, played some junior events, some provincial events, and some Canadians uh, as I got older. I'm a big fan of that green fee. 
Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah, three dollars and and uh, not to um, make fun, but the guy that was running the tour, he kind of was a little nasally, and he'd always say, "Do you have your three dollars?" And uh, <laughs> us as kids, we were always like, "Yeah, Mister Twiddle, we have our three dollars," and it was cash, and it was every Monday. <laughs> Did you do you skate? Do you ice skate? Do you play hockey? Yes. Yeah, so my when I was younger, I wanted to speed skate. The first night that I went to try out, I had the idea of eating KFC the night the hour before. Got on the ice and that did not go well with speed skating. <laughs> and so uh, I never went back <laughs> to speed skating. I uh, did a little bit of figure skating, but that was not me. Um, so what we did as kids is we did snow skiing, downhill skiing, and we had competition on, you know, on weekends. It was at the army base close to where we lived. So my dad got us a membership and dropped us off Saturday, Sunday, but we, we skated and we played badminton and uh, I played badminton at a pretty high level in, in high school. Wow. There was high school badminton. Yes. Not in the yard, but in the gym with feather birds so it was a it became kind of really really at a high level to where it's not the the plastic birdies not, that we see we started with the plastic birdies but then we finished with uh, we were on the quebec team that was traveling uh, quite a few weekends during the high school school year and then at some point i kind of had to make a decision do you want to play golf in the summer or do you want to still train for badminton and um, you know outdoor sport knew that i could maybe go a little further in golf so picked uh, pick golf. All right. So I know you grow up in Quebec or Quebec, but what did you speak first? Was it French or English? So French is my first language. So we had French, I mean, English classes starting in fourth grade in elementary school. But they were, you know, classes where you learn a few words and then you go out of the classroom and you start speaking French again. So you don't really learn another language. So as a uh, high schooler in my junior and senior year, my brother had already gone to uh, Lakeland in Florida, Florida Southern, to study and play golf. And uh, he was much better in English than I ever thought I could be. So uh, my dad said, why don't we pay for some private lessons and, and you could learn English? So as a junior and a senior, we went to Burlitt School and uh, started <laughs> trying to learn the language. And <laughs> I can't... the. Three's Company was the, the TV show. <laughs> sure, yeah. And our teacher would make us listen to like a five-minute part, and then you would have to tell her what you understood, and it was <laughs> it was a mess. So needless to say, learning English for me was very, very tough. There was a lot of little innuendos <laughs> yeah. on yeah. that show, too. So you, is it fair then to say that like golf is why you learned English? Yes, exactly. Because, um, so after that, I was getting very into the game and I played some tournaments in the U.S. And of course, I always had my coach follow. I had a, uh, a member at the golf course that was really interested in, in uh, teaching and helping me. And so his name was uh, Rod Gagnon, which uh, he was my junior golf coach. And still to this day, we keep in contact. And then, you know, what I know in golf is what he taught me. So along with my, my family, obviously, but rock was my, my big, like was my main golf coach. But so we traveled to the U S and then, you know, I could never speak and people were kind of judging me in a way. Why is she just a snob or is she from Canada or is she just French? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> the rudest Canadian ever. <laughs> Even to the point where I started playing a little bit more tournaments in Ontario, Toronto, in that area, like the Canadian juniors, you know, even if someone said, do you want to pin in or out? Like that didn't even make sense to me. Like, what are you saying to me? Right. And then they just have to, you know, pick up the pin and take it out. And then all the gesture made sense, but just these small little, um, you know, English words and, and terms I didn't know. And so even Burlitz didn't make me <laughs> a better student. Well, and you, you realize that Look, if you're going to keep playing golf, you need to speak more English, especially with you having the kind of success you were having. You were the Canadian junior national champion. Is that right? Yes. And I will remember. On the national team. And I'm glad you didn't try to Google the speech that I gave when I won the Canadian junior because that was pretty choppy. <laughs> so you gave it you, you gave it in English? English? Yeah, because it was in Mississauga, Ontario and you know, everybody there but probably me and a couple others are French 
everybody else's English. And so, you know, I thanked the people that I needed to thank, and, and but it was really, really tough. So anyway, to keep going about my learning English, um, <laughs> I had to take the SAT test in, in Montreal in order to get into, you know, a school. And I was recruited by, um, I went to visit Florida, the Gators, with my brother. Kind of, I would have probably had to walk on just because of the level of English that I had. Um, and then Oklahoma offered me a scholarship and she says, we'll really help you. We'll see how you are when you get here. We'll have a tutor for you. And her name was Norma Lee. And they had said to me before I came that she was, uh, she spoke French. And so my first day at school, I, I was devastated. I didn't understand anything. Yeah. And, um, I get to the library and she says, we'll meet at six. I said, okay. I get there at six, go downstairs. Can't wait to see Norma. So I, 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 when I saw who she was, I started speaking French and she says, oh, speak a little bit of French. And I was like, a little bit? <laughs> no way. They said you spoke French. <laughs> but the goal was to learn English. So anyway, it was kind of a nice thing. She didn't, didn't know French. Well, you end up going to OU and mm-hmm. you end up having a, a good career there. You were the captain of the OU golf team. I was, right? yeah. And, and I spent four years. I, I started in January, um, so I, I never had a chance to finish, you know, the fall. So I basically played three and a half years. And then my fourth year, I well, my four and a half year, I finished but just went to school. So I graduated in business management. Uh, we had a great career. We won the Big Eight, which that really ages me because it's now the Big 12. <laughs> they acquired four more schools. Uh, but it was the greatest greatest experience. Um, you know, not only did I graduate in business management, but I graduated in English, the, the language. And so wow. I, that's what okay. I always tell people. Hmm. You know, I... I, I, not necessarily do I, could I run a company because I'm in business <laughs> business management, but I can speak English now, which was... Yes, you speak it very well. <laughs> Thank you. When did you realize you wanted to get into coaching? You know, my senior year when I didn't get to play with the team, uh, my coach asked me if I would be interested in, you know, in coaching and helping her. And at the time it was called a restricted earning coach position um, and restric- restricted in very much of the salary part of it. Uh, it wasn't. Is I that was, what restricted means? <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely pay, not restricted work. <laughs> yeah, very restricted pay. Um, and what was nice is she always told me, if you're interested in teaching uh, private lessons, go ahead, do whatever, because I know how much money your your salary is going to be, and this could ho- offset, you know, your salary. So I said, that's that's awesome. So I decided to go that route. There were talks that maybe trying the LPGA, and since it took me five years to graduate, I had that gap year that, you know, I played golf, but I was teaching golf more than I played. And I just fell in love with seeing the students and see what they're going through, maybe be a mentor to them, and and um, knowing, you know, when they're homesick, I was homesick too, and, you know, and that part of it, to see them grow as a student athlete, I always loved that, and I, I love the travel. Um, I love the family atmosphere of traveling, so that's kind of why I was attracted to staying in coaching. So you really played three and a half seasons? Is that Yeah, I played yeah, three and a half. spring and then three full? That's right. And um, See, if this was track, you could have played that other spring. I know. I always, if I have any regrets, it was to come in at or the middle the of the year. Yeah, and at the time, you know, I... My dad and my, well, my mom and dad were saying, you know, you might as well go because at least if you wait, if you wait another semester, you're not really learning the language. And that's, that was the the big goal. Um, I went to a little junior college in Quebec City that was English, but, you know, everybody wants to learn French when you go to those, to that school. So all the boys and girls were like, oh, teach us some French. And my goal was to learn English. So it didn't work out as much. So that's why I thought, let's go as soon as I can and then go play. You spent a lot of time in Oklahoma, first as a player, then as an assistant at mm-hmm. OU, 95 to 07. So you were at Oklahoma a long time. A long time, yeah. Then you get a head coaching job for the first time at Oklahoma City mm-hmm. University. And then after that, what, three or four years there, the A state job comes open. That's right. You know, I think getting into just um, the NCA and even NAIA level, it's um, you get to know a lot of coaches. And um, we had played a tournament at Texas State in Victoria, I think it was. Arkansas State was there. You know, there's always talks like people 
move, get a different job and, and all these things. So within us coaches, it's kind of a family. So if someone feels like they want to go to a different job, then they're going to help you find, if you're looking for one, they'll help you find your job. And so uh, I had some talks with Ginger at the time. And then she says, well, you know, if I can, I'll help you because she had already committed to going to Mississippi State. And so uh, I interviewed with them and uh, Doug Doggett was the first one who made that call. And and I'll never forget, I was in the Dollar General and he said, do you have time to talk? And I said, absolutely. I'm walking out of here. (laughs) (laughs) And so I came to visit and and just fell in love with the school, the town and everybody that was around at the time was Dr. Lee was the AD. And so. Yeah, even I I was there and I forget. Almost get guilty. Forget you. Chris Adams was there so long. Yes, you've been there so long. That's almost it, it gets easy to forget about Ginger Brown it, Lim in between. It does, and you know what's the small world of all this story is that Chris and I are really good friends because she started her not her golf career but her coaching career when she was working at OU as an assistant pro, and so I was the assistant for the women's team at the time, and they had told me there's a new women's assistant. I said, really. So got to know her. We would play golf every day off. She had joke around and and she took the Wichita State job after that. But it's such a small world in the coaching business. That's why I say we're a big family. You know, we all know each other. And, you know, this is my 27th year coaching. So a lot of relationship were formed. And that's kind of how I ended up here. Last week. You came in fifth out of 15 teams at the Payne Stewart Memorial that was hosted by Missouri State. Mm-hmm. But the week before that, you opened the season with a win in Mobile at the South Alabama Intercollegiate. You're one of 13 teams in that event. That was your 14th tournament win as head coach, but that was the third tournament win in the last four regular season starts. It was also the fifth top three finish in the last seven regular season tournaments. And I say all that because this program seems to be in a really good spot right now. Thank you. It, uh, you know, you never know every year how it's all going to shape up. And you try to do your best as a coach to condition these student athletes and talk about winning and wanting to win and and I would have to say that the probably the last six, seven years have been, you know, really good for us here and kind of changing the culture a little bit of, um, you know, people really wanting to win golf tournaments and then working towards that every single day, every time they get up. That's their main goal. You know, I'm going to get better today. I'm going to get 1% better today. You've won more than the programs ever won. So when I say you're going to stand, it's not a knock. I'm getting to a question here. Mm-hmm. You win more than this program has won, and that's the most important thing. So when you look at the record book, and you guys have absolutely rewritten it, how much of that is because you start looking at some of the scoring stuff, how much of that is a reflection of where the sport overall has come in terms of people's ability to shoot good scores? You're right, because we had that conversation last week about you know what our team average was probably – my first few years, and, and I remember seeing numbers of in the 313, 310, 308 as a team, and that's four scores, you know, per day. And I thought to myself, wow, we're at 292, 291 now. That's a big jump. You know, those kids are a reflection of, you know, how good they are. Um, not that they weren't good before, but it's so much, the sport has gotten so much better. And Brad brings up, I think that's a really good point, because I remember there being a time not too long ago where I'd have a conversation with someone like you or someone around the game, and they'd tell you, look, there's scholarships left on the table mm. for women's golf, but now you've got a much bigger talent pool to choose from. We do, and, and we're we're right there in the thick of recruiting right now, and my assistant and I, uh, we were just talking this morning, you know, there's... It's always recruiting. You know, we make calls, we email, we text, we get on Instagram. But, you know, with five seniors this year, we have to be on the recruiting trail. We've been on the recruiting trail. and But you never know. You know, we, we're talking probably to nine athletes right now. We don't know what their decisions are going to be. There's so many options for everyone in women's golf now. One of those seniors has rewritten the record book. And Bobo mentions that you've done that as a team. But... One individual that's done it is somebody that was in here on this podcast several months back, actually back in the spring, and one of my favorite visits, and uh, Brad may feel the same way we've ever had with a student Mm -hmm. athlete, is with Olivia Schmidt. 
And what she did last year was incredible. Second individual qualifier in A-State history to go to an NCAA regional. Two wins last year set the program record for stroke average, led the Sunbelt Conference Mm -hmm. in stroke average. But what we found out was not only is she amazing on the course, but just an amazing person who absolutely loves being at Arkansas State. She truly is. And, you know, I and as a coach, you we talked about that specific person yesterday, too. You know, you have an athlete like this that will come around every four or five years. You don't know. You don't know what you're going to get every year. It's a toss-up on who's going to be successful. Is all nine people going to be successful? But when, when Olivia arrived, I knew that as a – as an athlete, she was a basketball player. She still is a basketball player. Hopefully she doesn't play right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I knew she was an incredible athlete, but I learned that she was also an incredible person. You know, over time, you get to know these athletes, and um, I wish Lillian grows up like that, my little girl. Yeah, I mean, and she – I mean, kid, you just don't have college-age people sort of in tune enough with their emotions to come in and get emotional about – their school, you'll give them yeah. the opportunity, get emotional about their coach who's yeah. invested in them. And those were things you were hearing from her when she was in here. Yeah. And she, you know, she's true. She's a, she'll tell you the truth. She will, she will try to be your best every single day. She'll work 110% every day. She's your true role model of an athlete and, and a person. She said something to one of our recruit the other day. And she said, you know, I think that the biggest thing I've learned being at Arkansas State is to participate in not only with my team, with the school, but with everything that ASU has to offer. And she's done just that. Saw her in the stands at the football game mm-hmm. Saturday night in Memphis. Yep. And she um, she wants to participate. If she could do more, I think she would. You know, we have lim- limited time. Mm-hmm. I know she has a little bit more time on her hands right now. Well, she's probably going to kill me that I say that. She is um, doing her master's <laughs> and it's killing her. But she she has her own schedule and I, that's why I'm saying she has more time. But, you know, spending a lot of her free time on the golf course, that's where she'll be. I, I want to make sure both for people who might not have heard you talk about the other places and to make sure I've got it. Because looming possibly before the end of your season, like she's got the potential of being stuck in a pretty tough spot, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what you talk about, because she's gone through stage one of LPGA Tour qualifying school. Yep. But talk about kind of what comes next and what could happen once she gets to stage two. So she's um, getting a chance to go to play in qualifying school number two, which is uh, one, a, a big honor, and two, um, a chance of a lifetime. You know, if she finishes, I'm not as familiar as I should be, if she finishes in a certain amount, you know, in the top, let's say 10, we'll, we'll do that, or top 20, um, she makes it to the final. When you think about that chance to go to the final, that's, again, a chance of a lifetime for an athlete, for a golfer, because you know what golf you might have played well yesterday, but tomorrow is you can't write your score down for tomorrow's round. And so I think it's a it's a choice she'll have to make. And I know she wants to come back here. I know she wants to finish what she started. So it'll be a big decision after Q school number two. What? Yeah, she what could ends potentially up have to declare forfeit. pro. Yeah, mm-hmm. but before she finishes this college season, which you would think is avoidable, but somehow they've decided yeah. it's not. Well, and and what the uh, NCA and the LPGA kind of, they probably got together and and decided as a coach, if you look at it this way, after stage two, which will probably be ending October 22nd, then if she was to say, okay, well, I'm going to the final stage, which is early December, and I'm turning pro. So in October, I still have time to potentially get another player for the spring. But if I wait until December, which is, you know, so much later, by the time she she makes that decision, then I'm kind of stuck. And so that's why they've decided to make that rule for college and LPGA. Yeah, it goes it, both ways. It really is unique to the game of mm-hmm. women's golf that that particular circumstance is on the table here. Now, you talked about recruiting, though. You talked about some of those seniors you have to replace. You've already started to bring in some more young talent. In fact, Mm -hmm. before we sat down and recorded today, we were talking about a freshman by the name of Morgan Bolgue. Very good, yes. Morgan played her very first 
tournament as a Red Wolf, as a freshman, a couple of weeks ago in Mobile. She was actually the top finisher for your team in that event. She was. And, and you know, um, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, when you get new players as a coach, you don't know how they're going to turn out. You don't know. There's so many There's so many things that can happen. You know, homesickness. I love it here. I don't love it here. Uh, I don't know if I like my coach. I like my coach. I don't know about my teammates. But Morgan walked in and and just was a breath of fresh air of, hey, I like everything. I hope she agrees with me. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, it says it by her play. It says it by when we do have recruits coming in right now. She's she's inviting to them. She wants to talk to them. I couldn't ask for, you know, a better freshman. Her and Olivia Coit have uh, really made an impact on our team um, so far uh, in the first four weeks. I think this is week four. I mean, obviously, in, in most things here, success sort of breeds success. So there are more good players out there, right? The game has come along. We talked about that. But as you guys, your profile changes, you win more tournaments, and you've got, you know, qualifier in the NCAA. How's that changed kind of the level of player who will pay attention if you come call and, it? And that's a good question. You know, I, I think when with Instagram and just everything that social media is so big, and I think we do, I know my assistant Josh does a really good job, and, and Mark Taylor also does a, a great job to promote what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we're attractive to a recruit. We have the facilities. We have, you know, our golf courses. We have a, a great town. We have support. We have great alumni association, you know, and we have guys like you that, you know, want to promote women's golf. And so that's a plus to to recruit. And we tell parents that when they come here, this is what you're going to get. So we mentioned, I mean, you've been here a long time and a lot of times, inevitably, somebody would go, well, gosh, I mean, here she is now at this point in and doing a lot of winning. Maybe she looks to the next thing. But I will say this, and, and that's not why I'm asking this, but life is a lot different for you than it was when you rolled in here 13 years ago? Definitely. We have a nine-year-old that uh, is a softball player and a volleyball player in every single sport you can think of but golf. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said you didn't come around till 11 or 12. That's right, but I don't want to tell her that yet. I'll tell her one day. (laughs) But, yeah, it's changed a lot. And, And, you know, I think you know when you're in a place where you see yourself or as many years as they'll keep you. And uh, this is how I feel here at Arkansas State. I, You know, this is home for us. Uh, my husband is actually working in Jonesboro now, which uh, did 10 years in Memphis. It's, it's much easier now, and uh, we love it here. Yeah, usually when you and I bump into each other, it's at a softball tournament. That's somewhere. right. So we're used to seeing each other in those roles. And you're like me. When I'm able to be there, I am. When you're able to be there yes. at some of these events, I know it's tough missing it s- is. some of that stuff, too. You're trying to be mom. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, there's two. We have two roles, maybe more than two roles. But it, it's uh, it's one of those things where, like I said, thank goodness my husband works in Jonesboro now because it, it makes things so much easier. And then Lillian, actually, we went on a walk last night. And she's like, Mama, she says, I know you're not going to be there next week. I said, I see more of you in the summer than I probably any kid, any of your friends. And I said, that's how lucky you are, is I'm able to be there a lot more than probably other families that, you know, have to have, well, I say a regular job. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if I have a regular job. Yeah. But we all have different things in our lives that I feel fortunate that I can at least be there most of the time. Because of the, uh, you know, the limitless nature of the podcast, Folks will be able to listen to this wherever they want to, including your friends and family back home. So go ahead. Is there anything you want to say to them? Oh, gosh. You can say it in French, even. Mm, A bientôt, j'ai bien de voir. Oh, yeah. He is is bad about that. (laughs) I said looking forward to see you guys. (laughs) When will that be again? Uh, You know, I try to go around the... December time mm-hmm. and this year I'm going to make it a point that they have snow there when I get there because last year um, Lillian and I went and they didn't have any snow mid-December and so it kind of changes the activities that you can do um, my mom actually lives by a mall that has pretty much a fair inside uh, with ice rink and, and rides and all this stuff. So that's Lillian's favorite place to go. But I would love to take her. We have a really nice uh, sledding park that's well known by, you know, tourists. And so that's really my goal. She's nine mm-hmm. and she goes to Brooklyn. 
she wanted to be a Brooklyn Bearcat, okay. and that was the accent she used. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that. I mean, Brooklyn. Hey, Brooklyn's a fine, fine school district, and it's exploding in, in growth and all. I don't know what their uh, French program is like. So, so how, how's that go? I mean, did, that's does not she going dabble well. in it at all? Mm, that that French program's not going well. <laughs> but the Friends program is going really well. Does she? I mean. If, have you tried to teach her any French? Does she know you, any? How's that go? You know, it's really at the beginning of her life. I had French book. I, I still have them. I was doing a really good job because she's born in November. So I didn't really have golf until, you know, mid-February. And I spent a lot of time with her. And I would read her books even though she was a little baby. And kind of continued a little bit. But living in, you know, with a speaking, uh, English-speaking family and you know, my husband's from Texas, and so, and then we live in a totally English world. Um, it's really tough. Her accent is good when I make her repeat things, but uh, no, it's, that, that part's not going well. <laughs> MJ, we appreciate you coming in. This has been a lot of fun today. Thank and you so much, you guys. Congratulations to you and all the program success, and hopefully we get to keep it going, and uh, you'll be in Columbia this weekend, Yeah, right? leaving Saturday. Yes, and uh, really exciting. It's going to be a great tournament, and um, I know the girls are excited. We're only taking five players, so we have one more round this week to determine who the top five will be. So exciting Thursday. That's A-State women's golf coach MJ Davian Shaw. We've got more to come here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinish the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again. In the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Taking a look at what else is happening in the world of A-State athletics. The A-State soccer team fell in the conference opener Sunday at Texas State, losing that match 2-1. to one. Red Wolves will try to pick up their first conference win this Thursday as they're at home hosting Marshall. And then they'll be back on the road Sunday when they head to Troy. Yeah, that's a, a pretty you know marquee matchup in the uh... – league to start things out in conference play texas state you know got a two nil lead and got one of those back would i feel like you know, 13 15 minutes enough in there to you know to make it interesting i think had another corner hit the bar so some, some other stuff happened along the way some near misses but yeah i mean that's still i think texas state's the only the second team all season to score multiple goals against them so just trying to figure out where to get a goal or two. Get two, ahead. two to one's a high scoring game for, for a state match. Yes, it is. Volleyball fell in their three matches at the Stephen F. Austin tournament over the weekend. Now they're going to open up conference play this weekend. They're hosting Georgia Southern matches Friday at six and Saturday at one. So hopefully the home court can help out a little bit you know like it did the opening weekend so you know this is a team that kind of like football played one weekend at home and then spent the next three straight weeks out on the road so they're home for the first time in a while and hopefully a good crowd there were good crowds for the uh opening weekend so hopefully they'll come back out again welcome this you know young bunch dealing with some growing pains and should be glad to to get home to first national bank arena meanwhile the ace day football team about to play their third straight yeah road game again yeah before, before we go to football though okay i want to talk about cross country okay let's hear it they went to memphis saturday morning at eight o'clock and ran in a race against Rhodes. not not against Rhodes, but that's who was hosting it both teams won the title and you how many runners you've got it's sort of like golf at the point that you you score five your top five scores and low score wins right because if you finish first you score one point and second you get two points sure so low score in this uh, from a team standpoint wins a state men and women got the win but i want to talk about the a state men did they scored 15 points which i see you running the numbers is one plus two plus three plus four plus five that equals 15 
and had it been a run however many you want and count eight, they would also have scored six, seven, and eight points. How many teams were in this? Thing? I don't know if there was another one at all. <laughs> they went first through eighth. One through eight? Does that ever happen? <laughs> I don't know. That's amazing. All right, so the cross-country team back to doing what they do. Yeah, they're, they're back at it. Congratulations to them. Football opening up conference play this Saturday. They'll travel to Norfolk, Virginia to take on Old Dominion. This is one of the new Sunbelt Conference members. First look at one of them. Old Dominion's interesting because they're one and two. They beat Virginia Tech at home back in week one. They fell in week two at East Carolina. And then this past week, they go to Virginia They've got them on the ropes. Virginia has to kick a late field goal to win the game, 16-14. to 14. So, one and two may be a little bit yeah. deceiving for this Old Dominion team. And when I was talking with Coach Jones Sunday, he said, you know, I've heard from several coaches about just how great the environment is. An environment that we'll be seeing for the first time. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing you know what that's like uh, to to see what they do right for their this is their first ever Sunbelt game. And you yeah. know that's how they're pushing it they're from their fan standpoint. Is that you know come help us the first ever time we're you know playing a football game in the Sunbelt. So I'll be anxious to see what sort of uh, atmosphere they create there Saturday. Coverage at three on the EAB Red Wolves Sports Network from Learfield. Kickoff at five. You can listen along while you watch it. It's also on ESPN Plus coming up on Saturday. Anything you need to talk about? Well, I mean, honestly, I would have ranted about the injury timeout thing. We covered that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we got that. We got that. But, you know, I just hope, and I understand by this point, you know, it's preaching to the choir, right? Because if you've made it to this point in this podcast, you're pretty invested in Arkansas State. But I I do hope just the folks are making their plans next weekend to come in for homecoming. I can say this because I wasn't on the marketing side for much of any of it. It's been a long time since we had a crowd that I remember thinking, what's a good crowd? Because if I'm being honest – I didn't think that one time last year, given the quality of the home schedule, right? I mean, there were some decent crowds, but given who you had coming in here, it just never kind of matched up to what we're used to seeing. And that was coming on the heels of 2020 where there's next to nobody in there and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's time to, you know, turn the clock back here one time and and show up big for homecoming and see, you know, what it's like to impact a game, which is what we saw the Memphis crowd do when it needed to on Saturday night. Get your tickets now. Of course, we got this third straight road game to get out of the way, but then back-to-back home games after that, Saturday the 1st against ULM, and then on the 8th, James Madison will be in here. Another new conference opponent. That's right. All right, so we realize this whole coaching thing is tough. I mean, we talk to coaches all the time. Their job's not easy, and I can prove it to you. Because I try to help out with my daughter's softball team. We were talking with MJ a little bit earlier about how she tries to be at as many softball tournaments as she can. Well, the last few weeks have been tough. And the weekend we were at Ohio State, my daughter's playing in a softball tournament in Jonesboro. I'm not able to go. And it it kills you as a parent that you're not able to be there. This past weekend, they were playing a tournament in Pocahontas. They played their first game at 10.20 in the morning. I knew I had to be in Memphis by 2. Mm-hmm. I did the math. I said, well, I can, I can be there for one game. So I went over to Pocahontas, was there for one game. And while I'm there, they, for some reason, let me help out as far as coaching. Chris Rich, I've told you before, is former A-State baseball player, does a great job with those young ladies. But... I serve as the first base coach while I'm there. And it's fun high-fiving the girls when they come to the base and telling them when to steal and all those things. So I'm at the game Saturday, the one game I'm able to help coach. And I got called for an out. Really? Not my finest coaching moment either. (laughs) So my daughter Charlotte gets a hit. She's rounding first base. She's coming back towards the bag and like I always do as a dad or really anybody who's coming to the base I'm starting to reach my arm up I'm gonna tell her what's going on pat her on the back after getting a hit well my arm is coming up 
And I think my hand may be on the back of her jersey. There's a rule saying that while the play's still going on, you can't touch the runner. I'm well aware of this rule. Well, the ball gets away while Charlotte had come back to the base. And I tell her to go. And she goes to second base. And as soon as she gets there, the home plate umpire looks over and says, the runner is out. (laughs) The first base coach touched her. So I kind of put my hands up in the area and I didn't even remember touching her. I understand the rule. If you're pushing her, making any contact, pushing her towards second base, there was nothing like that. I think I grazed the jersey. The umpire and I had a good laugh about it afterward, but I thought it was a little good bit laugh. Pick. I thought it was a little bit picky. I'm glad they won the game, or else I would have felt. Go, I mean, nobody argued. Well, anybody get chest I, to chest? That's all. Look, I here's the deal with the 12U softball game. There's enough coming from the stands anyway, as far as the parents go. I feel bad for the umpires a lot. I know that I didn't do anything wrong other than graze the back of her jersey with my fingertips. But I think that rule's in place if you push the runner. Well, for pushing or conversely, even grabbing and pulling them back. I mean, yeah, same thing, either way. I get that, but but there was nothing like that. If you I go thought back, it was so picky, and, and I'm thinking I uh, get it. And I did have a little part of me that wanted to go over and argue with the umpire but i held myself yeah, back you had one, the, the most notable near example of this it didn't get called but like you'll see if a, a, a real close was like i think if you go back to that summer of 98 when mark mcguire hits home run number 62 that's right and you know dave mckay who's coaching first base for the cardinals it almost feels like he reaches back i mean borderline pulls him back to the bag because in the excitement <laughs> mcguire might not touch first now, can you imagine being the umpire that calls him out when he just yeah. became the first person to ever hit a 60-second home He run. probably could have ran to second base, <laughs> grabbed him by the jersey, and, and brought him back. And I don't think the umpire would have had the guts to change that call. But that home plate umpire in Pocahontas, he was brave enough to call me out. And, I, and really, I mean, God bless these umpires for willing to do that and go umpire these kids' games. But Oh, God, that's listen really, to those parents. But the, what that really is is, I'm going to show these dudes I know that rule because I bet not many umpires out here do. So look how smart I am. (laughs) Hey, it's been a fun podcast. Uh, Thanks again to our friend MJ, Davey, and Shaw for coming in. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.